on this week's episode, is F9 enough to save the box office? A return of abomination for Shang-Chi? And is it still cool to play with Legos? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos popculturecosmos.com, and of course, Humanica Media as well. It is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own J9 for Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, plus also the stuff that he does for the Super BS Gamescast, and also archiving the Topicocalypse shows as well, plus his famous book, which I have every single week which you have got to catch if you haven't already that is congratulations you suck on amazon and barnes and noble it is my good friend it's our own j9 it is josh peterson what's up man it's all about family all about family it's family 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 family. i live my life a quarter mile at a time and for i live my life a quarter mile at a time i'm free the buster kept me out of handcuffs. Yeah, it's just so interesting to see this dynamic that we now know as the Fast and Furious franchise get even larger this weekend. It did well. How well? We'll let you know here in a few minutes. And if that is enough to save the domestic box office here in the States and worldwide, we'll talk about that coming up here in a minute. Plus also as well. A return to retro because retro is now fascinating again and a lot of retail ips have tried to come back and back and back and back and two of those that are either on the way back or are back are atari and in television i did not know i would be saying in 2021 that atari and television would trying to be relevant again but yes atari and in television are trying to be relevant once again and we'll talk about that coming up later in the program as well i know that a lot of people out there are talking about lego because LegoCon, as if you didn't know was back for this year in 2021 is it so cool to play with legos we'll talk about that coming up on the show as well and the shang chi trailer dropped right after our program that we taped on Thursday night. So, of course, it dropped right after, like we called it. I would like to say there's a little bit of surprise going on there, so we'll talk about the latest Shang-Chi trailer as well. But, my friend, you've got a lot of stuff to talk about when it concerns Netflix. Ruroni Kenshin, the final, actually debuted on Netflix recently. I know that's something that caught your eye, especially as far as martial arts swordplay is concerned 
Let me know your thoughts on it. Is it something people need to get into? And basically, what is it the final of? It's Ruroni Kenshin, the final. But what is it the final of? It's the final arc of the Ruroni Kenshin story. So they, they did a pretty good job. Unless Netflix says otherwise. Unless. So, I mean, okay, so there's right now there's five Ruroni Kenshin films. The fifth one is an origin tale. So that is, you know, it takes place before all the other ones. It just kind of went backwards. You know how I feel about origin stories after oh, all yes. the other ones are made. But, you know, that being said, yeah, it's just all cash grab. No, I mean, so you can't watch the first three on Netflix. So I had to rent them via the Microsoft Marketplace. Okay, so we've talked about this a lot. You know, they have these anime adaptations. They're usually pretty bad, right? Like you have even these big budget ones like Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson. You know, besides all the the casting controversy and all that, the movie just wasn't good. You know, and and I don't... And it's unfortunate because I don't even think that had an Asian uh, actress been cast in the role of the main character, I don't think it would have been that good. You know, same thing, like, that's my big fear, right? They've been floating that Akira property around for for a while, and, you know, it had Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to it for a while. And, you know, had it been done with, like, Chris Nolan, could have been cool, but I just, I still don't, I don't think that, you know, an anime like that is going to be a good adaptation. So we move on to Ruroni Kenshin, and this was actually... I wouldn't touch it, my friend. Uh, Akira is the standard by which all other anime goes by. I've said it on the show. I would never touch right. it. Right. And, like, I don't know about you, but, like, this this Cowboy Bebop series coming out on Netflix has me terrified. Because it's either going to be good or it's going to completely ruin the way that I look at Cowboy Bebop forever. Probably the latter, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm, yeah. I know it's held in high regard with anime fans, but it doesn't have the crossover general appeal yet at this point in its life cycle for regular audiences. So I'm sure there's going to be a level of curiosity depending on how Netflix pushes it. And we'll talk about something else Netflix pushed here in a second. But yeah, with Cowboy Bebop, you're right. For anime fans, it could really turn them off for good. Yeah. So, you know, that being said, I was as cautiously optimistic about Rurouni Kenshin, but this movie plays off. It doesn't really play off like an anime, though. It's adapted from the anime. Uh, all those the tropes are gone. Like it tells a genuinely good story and the characters are really interesting. And there's a lot of character development as the plots go on throughout these films. And while they adapt the storylines from the anime, they don't really adapt the characteristics of the anime, you know, with like the fainting and the the blood coming out of the nose, like your your typical anime tropes. They they stay away from that, which makes it a very adaptable film for people who aren't fans of the anime. This is a live action film, just to let everybody know. Yeah, this is a live action film. So again, you can't watch the first three parts on Netflix, but you can watch the final. And so the final basically adapts parts of the uh the Kyoto arc for those of you who are fans of the series, like he, he defeats Shishio in the third who one, you know, is the bad guy. Yeah. Cause he has yeah. blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, so he's like the guy covered in bandages and like, he's the, I guess, Kenshin's like nemesis that's in the third one. And the fourth one is one that's on Netflix and that kind of adapts pieces of the Kyoto arc though, much like, you know, films like John Carter of Mars and, chaos walking and all that they kind of take different things and put them in different places but it's it's a really well done film and the guy that plays kenshin i forget what his name is but like he does all his own stunts so you know how like when you see kung fu movies they sometimes switch the actors out 
you know, unless you're like Donnie Yen or uh, what? Jackie Ka- Chan. Jackie Chan or Catherine Yao. Is that her name? The girl that the, does the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And so you see like really rough cuts when they switch these actors out because they're trying to keep you from seeing the actor's face while the fighting's yeah. going on. But this guy does all his own stunts. And so the choreography from the fighting, like it's all very fluid and it looks really, it's really good. Like it looks really, really cool. You know, that being said, like it's, it's definitely like if you're on the fence about it, I would definitely tell you to check out this series of films. I wouldn't just jump into the final on Netflix. I'd try to watch the other ones first, but it's like, if you're a fan of, you know, these, these martial arts, these feudal era martial arts films, like. This is definitely one that you should check out because it's probably one of the best things that I've watched in a long time. And this is something we've continued on for the past couple episodes. I know Marcus was giving everybody a breakdown on some of the other stuff that's available on Netflix. One of the things that caught my eye is coming out on June the 30th this week, and that is America, the motion picture, Mm. which is not a... Don't listen to them when they're saying this is an actual animated recreation of how America got started, because it is not. It is a wild interpretation by a whole bunch of people involved that created Archer and some other animated comedy series. But yes, this is a movie that uh, has garnered a lot of interest. Uh, It stars Channing Tatum, it stars Olivia Munn, has Simon Pegg, and a lot of other notables that are in there. So it's very interesting to see how this will lay out. The trailer looks exceptional. I know the movie has gotten uh, some mixed reviews uh, up and down, but I want to go ahead and check it out for myself, and that's coming out this week. So Netflix, again, we talked about it on Friday's show. Is it something that is continuously a place for great content? And I know that sometimes, like all the other streaming outlets there's still gaps in their release coverage that creates a little bit of angst for viewers out there but i think there's enough right now to get you by and america the motion picture i think was obviously because of the july 4th holiday coming up is conveniently placed so looking forward to checking that out and hopefully i will have a review of that coming up on the back end of the week on our friday show as well yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that definitely sounds like something that I want to check out too. And you, you know, back to your comments about Netflix, like they are like right now, it, they're not like high profile things being put out, but they're things that are definitely viewable. You know, like I'm getting ready to dive into the second season of Ragnarok here because you know, that I don't know if anyone's gotten a chance to see that one, but like, that's a, it's a really good show. You know, it's like a modern interpretation of Norse gods and all that, that doesn't have all the, the marvel superhero stuff but it's it's a good show you know like it's not fantastic but it's it's viewable for sure so you know i think as long as netflix keeps putting content out like this you know i think they'll be okay well we'll see what happens but yes it is going to be america the motion picture coming to netflix this week and also roni kenshin the final I'm I'm still thinking like the final countdown. And then yes. get this so the one that comes after the final. Uh, okay, so the Is the, it the final final? Well, no, so number 3 was called the I think it was called the end and now this one's called the final. So they must not have wanted it to be the end, I guess. Uh, of course, money talks sequels they come up as well on Netflix apparently. So that is Ruroni Kenshin's The Final. And also as well, America the Motion Picture right now 
or coming up this week, you can watch on Netflix. We've got to check out what's going on right now with the box office. F9 has had a big splash here in the States. It is the first, I guess the second big event movie of the year. Maybe you can third if you want to consider Kong versus Godzilla because that has done uh, well. It's exceeded expectations, but F9 hit, finally hit the U.S. and the U.K. and also parts of South America, Mexico. It hit the box office there this weekend. And in the U.S., I know it, it succeeded expectations, about $10 million more than what the studio was hoping for, for about $70 million this weekend. Not earth-shattering numbers compared to 2019, because this is a movie that probably back then would have hit over $200 million, but it is a step in the right direction. So I turn it over to you, my friend, and I ask you this. F9, hitting $70 million this weekend. A step in the right direction? Does it mean that the U.S. and the U.K. markets and the other major points of contention with the box office are headed back to some sort of decent health? That this summer is now alive and we can expect decent openings from here on out? Or does this still concern you quite a bit? Oh, it's not concerning. It's I'd be curious. And I mean, if, you know, when Black Widow comes out, if that does not do decent numbers or, or, you know, as much or more than Fast and the Furious 9, then is then maybe we're not like as far along in this reintroduction of movie theaters into a post pandemic world as we thought. But, you know, look at this, though, like it's still a step in the right direction. Like the I, I don't remember what Quiet Place was, but I know it definitely wasn't 70 million. No, but it's like 40 to 50 million. But yes, it, it that did exceed expectations. Yeah. So it's not going to have not everybody's going to be going back to the movie theaters all at once. You know, it's not going to be a light switch. It's going to be a slow increase over time, you know, and like as word of mouth picks up. And I don't think we're going to have, you know, like when these big event films used to come out, everybody went to go see it on opening weekend. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see like a trickle effect of people trickling into these movies to watch them. And you know, instead of having one solid, one big box office day, we're going to have, you know, several smaller box office days throughout the the movie theater cycle of of these films. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I still kind of trepidatious on exactly if people are actually going to go out this summer and catch movies. I mean, it is a step in the right direction. F9 blew it out of the water as far as expectations from universal and what they had but still it did it was it the 100 to 150 million dollar blockbuster coming out of the gates i think it's going to be one of the high points of the summer and that concerns me because we like you said with black widow and several other high profile movies expected to come out this summer i'm not expecting any real huge box office numbers do you think there will be a hundred million dollar opening at all this summer if Maybe Black Widow, but I don't even think that might do it. I'm not sure that there's going to be that one singular movie this summer. And I'm hoping I'm wrong when I say this, that will go over that vaunted now $100 million U.S. opening when at times we've thought that $100 million was easy for films like this. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen during the summer, but you can mark my words on this. I think it will happen in the holiday season for sure. You know, we got a lot of high profile films coming out this holiday season. And, you know, as we witnessed with the when shopping season kicked in last, you know, last year, last holidays, 
there's a lot of people out and about, whether they're masked or not masked, there are a lot of people out and about. So I think that we're going to see that not just happen in shopping centers, but in movie theaters as well. So I think that, you know, I don't think we're going to get that, you know, with during the summer. I don't think there's anything that's like high profile enough, but I think by the time the holidays roll around, people will be more comfortable going places like that. And I think we will see a hundred million dollar opening come holiday season. You know, maybe whether that means like November or October, November, December, one of those months, we will see a, a box office opening that'll hit that. I certainly hope you're right, my friend, because we sure need not only for conversation, but for the overall health of movies going forward, because you can only sell so many films to streaming outlets. I mean, as we're going to see and we're going to report on on Friday's show, The Tomorrow War, and that was sold for $200 million to Amazon. That movie, I mean, not every movie is going to get sold for $200 million to a Netflix or an Amazon or Disney Plus or whoever. There's only so many films to go around that that big budget that can do something like that. So. Yes, they they're at some point in time we're going to have to have some type of the box office and I'm hoping F9 will be in that direction. And if you are checking out F9 or have checked out F9 in the theaters, family family family, we live our life one quarter mile at a time. If you have checked out Vin Diesel's latest F9 and the whole stuff that's going on, we want to hear your thoughts on the movie itself. Is it good? Is it bad? Or is it just popcorn entertainment? Please share those thoughts with us. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. I know you've been hearing about Manscaped on all those other programs and podcasts. Well, Manscaped and the Hoopheads Podcast Network are working together on something fantastic. And oh my goodness, have we got a deal for you. Manscaped.com has just released their wireless, waterproof, and rechargeable Lawnmower 4.0, which offers their trademark skin-safe replaceable blades that gets you the ultra-close shave exactly where you need it. Head on over to Manscaped.com and choose from the huge list of men's grooming and lifestyle products, including the ultra-popular Lawnmower 4.0 Body Groomer, and get 20% off at Manscaped plus free shipping with the promo code FASTBREAK at manscaped.com. That's right, just type in FASTBREAK, all one word at checkout, at Manscaped, and get ready to start looking good this summer from your friends at Manscaped, the Hoopheads Podcast Network, and the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Well, my friend, there's still much more to talk about on today's program. The latest Shang-Chi trailer had some surprises. And it wasn't necessarily about the great battles that are set up. Of course, the Mandarin and his son having that dynamic, which is very intriguing. The story and the premise looks very, very good. I'm very excited for it. As you and I have talked about already on this show, it is one of the top Marvel movies that we want to see. Both of us have acclaimed that. And we think it's going to do so much positivity for the Kung Fu genre in movies. The interesting thing popped up halfway through the trailer in a cage set up like almost like a battle zone for, you know, underground fighting or something like that. It was an abomination because abomination from the 2008 Hulk movie, I believe, played at that time by Tim Roth, who will be returning to the role in Red Hulk. 
But Abomination was there in a surprise turn, fighting off. I don't think it was against Wong of the Doctor Strange movies. I think it was against someone that was guarding the Inner Sanctum, or one of the, the monks that were there that, that can go ahead and, with the magic. So I want to hear your thoughts on that and also your anticipation and excitement as we saw more footage from the latest Shang-Chi trailer as well. The trailer was, it was good. You know, it was good. Uh, this is one of those movies where like, you know, I'm curious like what they changed about the character for the films. You know, he's always like, like we've talked about before, he's always kind of been Iron Fist sidekick, right? Like he's been like the Robin to Iron Fist. So now that he's, you know, he's doing his own thing, will there be Iron Fist references or are they kind of just like scrapping that mythology? There was already an Iron Fist reference if you look at the first trailer. Was there? If you look at a car, there's a car oh. on there that says, I think, either Rand or Danny, something or oh. something relating to Iron Fist. Yeah, Dan, the Rand Industries. Yeah, so, I mean, and are they giving Shang-Chi his own, like, a, a new power set? Because, like, I don't if I'm trying to remember correctly from the comic books if he actually has power some kind of power of his own or if he's just a martial artist but well you see the power when he faces off against the mandarin and the power of the ten rings you see the the power that he gives off against his father Mm -hmm. with the with the different light color schemes there gold versus blue yeah and you you can see as long as he's wearing the rings just what kind of power that he may have this feels like a whole new origin story for me and i'm really excited about it because i don't Again, like, I don't know what to expect. Like, granted, I haven't read a lot of Shang-Chi comic books, so I'm not, like, an expert on the character, but I do know from my history, from reading, you know, Iron Fist comic books and, like, the Ultimate Spider-Man arcs that have Shang-Chi in them have been pretty cool. But other than that, like, I this this feels exciting to me because it's all fresh and it's all new and it's in a genre that I love, which is, you know, we talked about this, Kung Fu films. And the trailer looks very beautiful. I love how they personify. How the- are those color palettes? Yes, hey, they're pretty, pretty nice, man. They're looking good so far. But I love how they like are actually showing the ten rings and like what they or what they are. You know, they're actually physical things. I do yeah. like the fact that Marvel always shows you like a different color. Mm-hmm. And with Loki, it's green. Yeah, and I, I know that. Uh, some of the guys on on youtube like emergency awesome i know a lot of people follow him and he does his videos and he was talking specifically like you with color palettes the different colors like for instance you have wanda maximoff who's you know distinct red loki Mm -hmm. is distinct green in this case it's gold versus blue and yeah it's very distinct very very distinct yeah well even like you look at some of the marketing stuff they show the the letters for shang chi are are this like it's not like a vibrant red color but it's like this cool dark autumn day red and i kind of i'm digging it going back to your question about abomination you know abomination's an interesting character and in the fact that like they've referenced him so many times in different marvel properties since the incredible hulk like i don't know if you ever watched agents of shield but one of them, like one of the agents, like gets reassigned to guarding, you know, a safe house that has Abomination locked up inside of it, you know, and they make the Obviously incredible. They didn't do a good job. Yeah, and they make the Incredible Hulk references. What I noticed about this Abomination, I know this has been floating around the internet a lot too, but it's like this is more of a comic book adaptation of Abomination, right? He's got the like the fish ears, and, you know, that's kind of how it was in that early '90s Iron Man cartoon. So I, I'm I'm wondering if like what we saw of Abomination in the Incredible Hulk was 
not his like final metamorphosis you know like he's changed to be more like animalistic or are they going to make it so he can switch back into like you know tim ross character there's a lot of unknowns here but like i love how they've been wanting to use this character again and they've found a reason to do it and i just hope that it flows well well it's obviously not going to be on very very long in shang chi and again he has a future in the red hulk series and i know that's coming to production very soon and both tim roth who played abomination in that movie plus mark ruffalo who as you know is the hulk are going to both be part of that series when it comes out. But it was interesting to see him randomly thrown in there in that underground fighting scene. I don't think it's the Wong from the Doctor Strange movies that's in there. I think it's a different guardian of one of the inner sanctums that he's matched up against that you see in there. I really don't think that they would use or drop Wong in there for a reason or it almost like a throwaway role in that case. But I'm I'm curious to see why Abomination was used and how he's integrated. Again, I don't expect too much and seeing how it relates to maybe She-Hulk and that series coming up will be interesting to see. But Shang-Chi, the actual movie itself, is lining itself up to be very interesting. Of course, you have the, the stuff in the background that's happening hundreds of years ago, plus the stuff that's going on today within that movie, the streets of San Francisco and the bus and you see what's going on there with Shang-Chi and then also Aquafina's character and their interactions with each other. So, yes, and also Iron Fist, the rumors that Iron Fist has been or will be recast and seeing how that will be done and appropriated into the movie, that's curious as well. So we are very interested to see Shang-Chi and the expectations for that movie for us are, are very high. And the return of Abomination to Shang-Chi and in this Shang-Chi movie. So we're very excited for it. I, I know I am. I know you are as well. Can I go walk down rumor mill for a quick second? Uh-oh. Watch out. Go so, ahead. Let's take a trip down to the rumor mill. Yeah. So uh, the Iron Fist references in Shang-Chi, you know, have kind of like tied into this whole thing. where like Daredevil, right? His rumor, Charlie Cox's Daredevil is rumored to be coming back. Like he's rumored to be in the Hawkeye series and in Spider-Man and the Echo series and all that. They're talking about how Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be featured in a role that relates to Spider-Man somehow. They're talking about Luke Cage and Jessica Ritter. Like, these characters are all coming back. All the ones that people seem to like. Yeah, so the rumor here is that they're getting ready to, like, reference the death in one of these properties. They're getting ready to reference the death of Iron Fist. So I'm just curious, like, because they don't want... Dan, they want to do a di- I, from what I understand they're going to be killing Danny Rand and doing one of the other Iron Fists in the Iron Fist mythology so I'm wondering if in Shang-Chi they're going to reference the death of Danny Rand which could be or, yeah, or the uh, Danny Rand that really stunk in the Netflix series yeah well I mean if they're going to be using the Netflix characters the Shang-Chi would be a perfect place to, to reference the death of Danny Rand you know like that could be the best place to do that because then that's it. You just scratched them off the off the slate and you can kind of move on with that character while still introducing the fan favorites that people want to come into the MCU. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Again, I'm I'm excited to see what Abomination can do in the I'm I'm assuming limited amount of time that he is in there in the latest Shang-Chi movie that is coming out. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is coming out 
in the not too distant future. We are looking forward to it. I thought it was another great trailer that represented the movie very well. So I'm looking forward to it. That is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings that is coming out here in a, I think in September. It's still a September release as of this point in time. So very interested to see how this all plays out now that Marvel has all these movies coming out back to back to back to back. Of course, it starts up here in a couple of weeks with Black Widow. But are you excited for the return of Abomination from the 2008 movie, The Incredible Hulk? Are you excited to see his return in the latest movie that's coming out for Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about a lot of great things, including the Halo series, the return to retro with Atari and a television, and is Lego still relevant in 2021? We'll talk about that on the back half of the show as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you want to see the coolest action figure collections out there, the stuff that you played with as a kid, hear from industry insiders that made the toys that really, truly defined who we are, then you got to check out Season 1 of Action Figure Adventure. Check out Action Figure Adventure now, exclusively at Big Bad Toy Store, and you'll get 10 episodes of awesome action figure fun. I guarantee if you grew up playing toys, you will love Action Figure Adventure. And we're back with the show. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos. My friend, Mr. J9, Josh Peterson, is back with me. If you have any questions for us, at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, plus also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, which we do a lot of great things, including a lot of streams. Also as well, our tabletop RPG crew is there several days a week on Facebook, YouTube, and of course our Twitch channel. So please check that out as well. I know Jamie has asked me as well. We're going to be doing some things, hopefully, for charity very soon and for our streaming. So I know we're going to be doing a lot of great things with that. Plus, we've got a lot of other great things that we've been talking about behind the scenes as well. But Josh, I know you finally or will have your Biomute review up pretty soon. Yeah, it's done. I just got to hit publish, but I want to read it one last time to make sure I didn't like foopaw any words, you know, as the. Or Biomutant 10 what biomutant 10? 10 oh yeah solid 10 out of 10 no i actually like if you guys read the review like i it's a review i i call it a work in progress like it's it's something that i i'm gonna go back and play it before the summer's over after they keep putting you know they put more patches to the game and then i'm gonna like try to give it a, a better review based on like what the experience is you know several months after launch so it's not a 10 it's not a 10 okay Fair enough, fair enough. But what is close to a 10 is if you check it out while you're there is the Chivalry 2 review I put up there and I'm still playing it. It's a great multiplayer game. I gave that a very high score. So hopefully you will check that as well. But my friend, there's still much more to talk about on today's program. The Halo series that is now coming to Paramount Plus. In the past, it was going to go to Showtime seemingly forever. Steven Spielberg, I think it's still working with Microsoft and Xbox Studios on it. I think it's still a collaboration effort that's going on there. But you wanted to talk to me because of the news that both showrunners 
are or have or will be dropping out. One has dropped out. One will be dropping out after everything is completed for season one. I don't know if it's as big news as people make it out to be. I think it's the fact that it's being filmed in Budapest, Hungary. I think that has a little bit to do with it. I know one of the individuals there was really, I guess, homesick because he's from the U.S. And the other one, I think, is something similar or just the fact that I think it's just, all right, we got you off on the right boat, turned it over to someone else if it gets to a season two. But your thoughts on this? I know you wanted to cover it. it does it provide you some concern for this series that they're not taking it seriously enough? To me, it's, you know, you hear those stories about when Microsoft originally tried to sell the IP, right, to um, to movie studios or sell the, the film rights to. And they did the whole, like, Halo Dane Hollywood when they marched in, a bunch of Master Chiefs marched in with briefcases and all that. And, you know, they wanted some ridiculous amount of money and a ridiculous percentage of returns for it. And I, I think about that and, you know, perhaps you're right about the being homesick thing, but I also wonder like if we're seeing a situation, you know, kind of like Josh Trank with Fantastic Four or how like all these, you have these directors that walk off the sets of like Star Wars films and DC films. Like, is it an issue with them or is it the studio overstepping, you know, trying, making it impossible to make a film that truly has the mark of well, it's like not a film it's a series a so, series yeah. but truly bring, being able to bring the vision to life of the people involved you know without getting too involved themselves you know like it's just i wonder about that because i know halo is like you know especially with the way that halo 5 ended and people not being happy about that story like it, halo is a series that feels to me right now on the edge of a knife you know like Everything, all the media leading up to Halo Infinite and Halo Infinite itself has to be great. And I wonder if these, you know, Microsoft Studios and the corporate part of things are, is getting too involved and it's making it hard to like really, you know, you know, making it hard for the people involved in this project, the non-corporate people to do their jobs. Well, I'm going to say to you right now that it's not just the media, but there's a lot of gamers out there that are ready to go ahead and dig up the dirt on Halo. In the Halo series. Oh yeah, I mean we talk about those Sony fanboys, but you know it's no, not just Sony fanboys, man. It's, it's not it's not Sony fanboys. It's not just them. It's it's it, gamers. It's a, period. It's gamers, but it's a majority like of people. I don't know. Just looking at the comment boards on GameSpot and IGN, like it's a majority of people who are Sony fanboys who probably won't even play the game, you know. And like that was. Uh, a, I think it's the general audience as well. I mean, I, I've told you this before in our E3 coverage. Microsoft did not put it at a premium point and not only did not put it at the beginning and the end like they have done every single other time, they also really gave Forza Horizon 5 a much bigger look than what went on with Halo. And Halo is supposed to be your biggest game that's coming out this year. I mean, to me, it seemed like an afterthought. I'm just giving you right there. And that's a shame for somebody who has played and loved the Halo series since 2001. Yeah, And I'm really thinking that it's no longer the foundational piece in their eyes unless something that can be turned around right away. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I just like this this whole thing, like, I don't know, like there's it it feels to me like we're we might be experiencing something where like the companies behind this property is they're scared. You know, they're nervous about it, especially like, you know, I think it's fatigue. I just think it's fatigue. I think. 
that Halo's window for being the most relevant Microsoft property kind of came and went with the advent of the Xbox Series X, and it should have been there at the opening. Once it didn't meet that opening, I think Microsoft as a company kind of said, you know what, we're not going to put it as our marquee piece anymore. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll see the, I know everyone seems to be pretty stoked about the multiplayer aspect of the game, but, you know, as for the, the, the show itself, I know, I feel like all these leading up to Infinite's launch, like everything has to be perfect. And I think that they're scared and that's kind of probably causing some issues with the, you know, these creative teams behind who are trying to bring these properties to life. Uh, and like we said, with Halo Infinite, that has seemingly been wanting to come out forever. The same thing goes for the movie. And there's been fan stuff. There's been other lower-budgeted projects over the years. And this is supposed to be the first high-profile, high-budget thing in the Halo universe that people could really get behind. And it was eventually starting... It was supposed to start off as a movie. But then again, the climate of the way things are out there has cycled it into a series. And if that's the case and that's that's probably working out better for it but to what extent are the the special effects the budget that's going to be allowed the production values that i'm concerned about because again this was once the premier franchise for microsoft if this series does well it could make the series of halo back so much more relevant again but as you see from the time when Halo was at its peak, I mean, so many other games have prospered since then. Call of Duty has risen so much more than Halo in the in this de- past decade. You have Fortnite, you have Rainbow Six, you have so many other shooters that are out there that are now vying for attention at a much higher profile. Like you said, I'm very encouraged by what's coming up by Halo Infinite. I'm not saying it didn't look good. It's just the stature where it sits with Microsoft, if you're sitting from the outside looking in like we are, it just does not have the same stature as an IP that it once did. Yeah, I mean, and who's, you know, who's to say it won't end up on top again? But yeah, like, I mean, right now it's just, I think that whole FUPA last year, you know, last holiday season really, really like hurt. hurt them a lot. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I think that we're we're looking at this uh it's like a doomsday clock right where like everything has to be perfect you know including halo infinite before like they're willing to like release the reins a little bit of on this this franchise whether it's in uh show movie book comic book video game form whatever it needs to perform well before they're going to be like you know pull a marvel and be like okay we'll let some more like creative minds have a go at it I mean, ever since, what, Halo 3 in 2007, I think the series has had a lot of issues. In this past decade, you saw Halo 4 and Halo 5. They had a lot of backlash from fans, exactly how they were laid out. I know the Halo, the Master Chief collection that came out on Xbox One, which had such promise, came out to so many glitches and so many problems initially. They've worked on it for years since then, mm-hmm. and it's so much better a game now. And I hope, you know, if you can get it right now, either on Xbox Games Pass or buy it outright, I, w- I really highly recommend it now. But, you know, all the content in the Halo universe that it could have had at that point in time, 
and all the glitches that should have been fixed before the game came out really did a number on the whole stature of the Halo franchise Yeah, when it came out at that time. I mean, just this past decade was not a very kind one to the Halo franchise and the Halo IP. I'm concerned that now that it's your dad's game, your mom's game, your older cousins or older brother's game that it was back in the day, now that there's a younger audience now playing games that don't know or don't care or have never played the Halo franchise, I see it as something like we've talked about before with Star Wars and some other IPs that were once relevant and once the biggest thing under the sun that are now, like you said, and I think you just really put it out best right there earlier in a few minutes ago when you said it, on the edge of a knife. It's really on the tip of the knife right now. Yeah. Yeah, and like you know, I just feel like Bungie are—they were better storytellers. You know, they're they're better at their jobs than what three four three is. And you know, if you notice, like with the the Halo stories under Bungie, everything was a coherent story, right? Like everything, one entry led right into the next, into the next, into the next. With three four three's games, there's these giant storytelling gaps in between each game. You know, and they and the, it was so much better franchise. I mean, they were supported by books. It was supported. Mm-hmm anime it was supported right offshoot games like odst Mm -hmm. and reach and just really quality stuff yeah and that's a big problem too is that like you know in between halo 3 and 4 halo 4 and 5 and now halo 5 and halo infinite they want you to pick up this this extra media but a lot of people you know like barely have time to even play video games so what's that going to do for their outlook on the story if they don't have time to read you know five books in between playing halo 5 and halo infinite like it's just it's not coherent you know and it doesn't feel like it flows it's like having a playlist of you know on the master chief collection you play just a playlist of random levels like that's what it it, that's what 343's vision has felt like so far it just seems to me right now that like you said the halo ip is on the tip of the knife and it, it needs a lot of help it needs a lot of things to go right to stay relevant by the end of this decade because you have right now a lot of stuff going on with the Halo series that's coming to Paramount Plus. And will that be a big hit? I think because I think it really needs to, not only for the Halo IP, but for Paramount Plus. And then you've got Halo Infinite, which needs to reclaim its authority as the premier IP on Xbox and also one of the premier IPs in video games. So a lot is riding on the Halo IP this year when both of those properties come out. And we'll go ahead and share our thoughts on both as they come out right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But we want to ask your thoughts. Is Halo still relevant in 2021? And do you think it will stay one of the premier IPs for video games by the end of this year when Infinite and also the Halo series comes out as well? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we hit the break, want to ask you real quick did you see that the atari vcs has debuted out there as an entity and i mean it reminds people of a lot of the atari 2600 right it's shaped like it it looks kind of like it it's really got a nice uh format it looks kind of it's good. very be- it's a very beautiful yeah. console yeah and a very expensive one at that for a lot of Emulated games. I mean, there's over a hundred Atari games that are attached to it, plus a lot of other emulated games. So I think about two hundred in total. Uh, 
Yeah, they have Atari and they have a bunch of art. I want to say it was like 50 plus arcade games on there. And then some homebrew games thrown mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. I, the starting price is $299. But remember, these are a lot of emulated and Atari 2600 games, which don't really push the needle graphics wise comparatively to an Xbox One or an Xbox mm-hmm. Series or a PlayStation 4 or 5 game. And you don't even get a controller. You have to go either buy it separately for $60 for the old standard Atari 2600 controller that you had way back when, or a new standard up-to-date controller at 59 or pay, what, $400 for an all-in package that, that includes both controllers. This, to me, is ridiculous. I'm sorry. I'm not paying three or $400 for an Atari 2600, I can go down to my good friends at Retro City Games and buy or go ahead on my PC and get emulations out there. It just seems absolutely ridiculous, and I expected a lot more. Yeah, I was I was really excited about this console, like back when they, remember they announced this at the, that was the E3 we went to, I think, yes. back in 2017 or 18. Yes. And they announced this console and we were, I was, I was stoked about it. It looked very beautiful. It looked, and I was just getting into like retro games back then. What kills me about this though, is that there's no cartridge support on it. Like I was hoping that they would at least like in the, in the same way that like the Retron systems, you know, you can put multiple different types of cartridges in them. I was hoping there would be something like that, you know, or even just an add-on where like, you know, how you can buy a disc drive separately for Macs if you wanted to. Just something something like that. Something that like lets you play these old games on this new thing. And so that was something that disappointed me. Another thing I didn't like was the fact that they brag about how you can use this as a PC, but you have to load up an operating system onto a flash drive That's correct. in order to use it as a PC. And once you have it used as a PC, it doesn't function as well as a PC. So at that point, you might as well just use your PC. Exactly. It's a very low-end PC uh, as far as the chipset is concerned. And yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not going to work out as your PC. If you're going to use it or buy it, if you're thinking that it's going to be a low-end PC for you, I think you're sadly mistaken. Right, right. And, you know, I, I guess, like, the the other thing that kind of bugs is the fact that, like, they have talked about a marketplace. I don't know if it's active yet, but it's nothing in the vein of like a Microsoft marketplace, right? Like you can't, there's no app support on there. There's no like modern games being developed specifically for the Atari VCS. It's basically a, a just a retro machine. Yeah. And they have, you know, you're paying all this money, you know, cause they're bragging about 4k and, but what is 4k going to do for if an you're old playing pick- Pong? Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, Space Invaders or whatever it is you're playing on there. Missile what is Command. What, yeah, Missile Command. What is, the Atari 2600 version of that. Yeah, what is 4K going to do? Like smooth out the pixels? I don't, I don't know. Like, again, the console is very beautiful. And if it were at a cheaper price point, I would probably buy one. But yeah, just $400. Like you're $100 off from buying a, a PlayStation 5 or a, you know, Xbox Series X. You can buy an Xbox One Series S for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it basically does the same thing because neither of them, you can't put media in either of them. So and You can use the Xbox Series S as an emulation tool, can't you? Yeah, you can. You know, there's some workarounds there you can play be. around with. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just like, I was really excited about this, but now I'm seeing like how much it costs and what it does and doesn't do. And I'm just like less 
excited about it. Like I think the most I'd pay for something like this would probably be like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars maybe would be my my max, but I'd probably like something more around a hundred dollars. If it came out like the what the mini systems or the mini NES and and what the other mini systems that have come out in past years, yeah, like around a hundred dollar price point, I think that would have been something really, really good that would have gained a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. But every time the Atari brand gets revived, there's always something that blows it. And to me, yeah. you spend three hundred dollars and not even get controllers, it's just absolutely outrageous. Absolutely just bothers me to no end. I'm gonna sell you a console with no controllers. Just mind-boggling absolutely yeah. mind-boggling oh i absolutely agree with you and then you've got the intellivision amico they did a presentation tommy tellerico who's a major name from the video game industry just went off on the presentation it was a lot of tommy tellerico if you watch it and a little bit of the games on the end but again it's something that uh, it looks like a lot of homebrew stuff a lot mm-hmm. of intellivision games which again are not that great visually and a lot of people would go like really these were games you would like back in the day but you know there's a lot of that there's an earthworm gym game that's coming specifically for it but it doesn't it looks like it's again another system that's going to come out at a really high price and doesn't do a whole lot for you yeah i mean you know i think that the big issue here is that like it's they're selling them at a price the same price of like competitive consoles and they're not like supporting them beyond like these retro fixes, you know, like what's you get your retro games and then what's going to happen beyond that. You know, you said uh, the Intellivision is doing an earthworm jam or whatever, but like after that, what's, what's next, you know, like there's there's several games in the, in the queue, like, yeah, there's like a hundred games and whatnot, but still Mm -hmm. it's, a lot of it's in television games, which didn't push the needle then and don't push the needle now for, for video games. Yeah. It's basically, they're ban- both of these companies are banking on nostalgia. And the problem is if you need a bank to go ahead and get one of these systems, that is a problem. It just need to be at a great entry-level price point and get people involved again. I mean, I would like you said, if it was cheap, it was under $100 all day. You'd sell them out all day. Yeah. But that's the problem. That, that's the problem right there yeah yeah and I, you know again like the the atari is is a very good looking console it's just not like if you're a retro collector like you your budget's better spent finding rarer games you know or buying an accessory and an, an up convert accessory for your atari so you can play it on like your you know your 4k tv or whatever as opposed yeah. to just buying this this new... Or if if you're an emulator out there, you know where to go already. Or if you're yeah. really really interested in playing these games from the past, you know where to go and know how to right. get them. Or from our good friends right here at Retro City Games, who, who does a great job here in the Las Vegas area, or anyone out there in the local city as far as a retro game dealer that's out there, I think you can go ahead and get yourself some great times. And Still, you would have to pay less than what you're paying now for an Atari VCS or Intellivision Amico. Just yeah. really just a downer that you have to bank and pay more for nostalgia just to go ahead and get the nostalgia that you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What are your thoughts out there on the Atari VCS and Intellivision Amico? Please tell me that you're thinking rationally about this, about going back in time and and really just going ahead and 
enjoying the games that are out there, but doing it in a much more budgetary conscious fashion than these two outlets, unless the price drops on both. And if the price drops on both, we will go ahead and, and let you know. And plus we will reevaluate our thoughts on it. But right now they're too high priced for us because if you can go ahead and spend the money on that, you might as well go ahead and spend the money on current consoles that do a lot more. But share us your thoughts on the Atari VCS and the Television Amico as both trying to bank on the nostalgia for gaming. Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, Josh and I will be asking, is Lego still relevant in 2021? We'll share our thoughts after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back with the show. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos. Before we head on out, my friend, LegoCon, as if you didn't know that was a thing, LegoCon did come out this past weekend and announced some great Lego sets that are coming on the way at massive prices because lego is no longer a cheap and value thing especially if you know parents out there that buy it for your kids but the thing is it's not kid stuff per se because they came out with some millennium falcon sets that are coming on the way that are at not cheap prices we're talking hundreds of dollars 100 150 200 dollars Everybody knows they have the big Death Star that you saw in the Spider-Man movie. They have the huge Millennium Falcon, which came out a couple of years ago at several hundred dollars. They've had other playsets from other IPs. Of course, they have their own sets, which gets everybody wild. I know if you've gone shopping for a son or a daughter for a birthday party and you stopped by back then, Toys R Us or now Walmart or, or Target, you know how much this stuff costs as far as Legos are concerned. So I ask you, my friend, is Lego still relevant in 2021? You know, I got a buddy who collects Star Wars Lego sets, and he's been showing me that, like, hey, I bought this for this much, and now, you know, you go on eBay, and this is how much people are buying it for. And, like, it, the value goes way, way up really, really quick. Just on certain sets, though. It's not, like, on – this isn't the – truth for all the sets but there are certain ones where like you know there's limited runs of like the mandalorian sets or the the star wars cantina from a new hope sets get you know or fetch a, a high price you know it's funny so we we're at walmart this pat or yesterday and like i i really really want to invest in some harry potter legos you know like i want to buy that hogwarts castle harry potter. so bad yeah and i'm looking at it and i pick up like they had the astronomy tower at walmart and i'm picking up i'm like this is $175 you know and I turn to my wife I'm like do you remember Legos being this expensive when we were kids and like she goes no they're not because I remember like they had you know they had the different tiers of Legos right they had you could buy like the ships the buildings and then like the big big set like the the thing you know whatever it was and I remember the the thing was usually anywhere from like 40 to 50 bucks you know like somewhere in that neighborhood but now like you want to buy the big big thing you have to have like a, you have to have a trust fund, you know, like it's like you go on there, you want to buy like the Star Wars Death Star, whatever. It's 
upwards of $500. Same thing with like the Hogwarts castle. You want to buy the Hogwarts castle, though it only has, you know, 15, 20 more pieces than the $175 one. You're still paying upwards of $400 for it. So if people are obviously buying this stuff still, and I don't know like why or how it got so expensive, but if people are buying it and the price is still able to bricks, dude. Yeah. And you're still able to sustain that price. You must, it must be appealing to some people, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't know who, and I don't understand it and I don't like it, but obviously there is a market for it. And uh, funny because like the Imperial light cruiser, that's going to come out. That's 1336 pieces for $160. You've got the Boba Fett Starship coming out for a tidy 50 bucks. That's 600 pieces almost. And yeah, man, this is, you think about your time. What about my time when it used to be like 20 bucks? You used to get a a thousand pieces of random stuff. You could just build anything you want. It was really cool there. And you just had a great time putting all the stuff together. But yeah, you think about from my time to now, my gosh, sticker shop. So here, I don't know if people watching us online can see. So here is Walmart. Like if you look on this side, right? Walmart, this is the most expensive Lego set out there, right? This is Walmart selling this for $1,600. Like it is. Goodness. It is absolutely insane. Pure, just insanity that something like this costs this much money. But Legos are definitely still relevant, even if they're more expensive then you remember it and i know every time you go to the store to buy one as a birthday gift you get reminded of just how expensive and valuable these legos truly are i would like to buy some lego sets but i just don't find i can't find the justification for doing it let your imagination run wild with legos yeah seriously what are your thoughts out there on legos and their relevance still in 2021 after LegoCon came out this weekend with a whole bunch of great announcements on Lego sets, which are a lot more expensive than you remember. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. I cannot thank you enough for being part of it as always, but any last thoughts on the way out? Not that I can think of. I think I've like talked about everything I wanted to say here today, but you know, we're, uh, we're getting into a big season for gaming here. Like, I feel like, you know, it's June and, you know, we're already getting some pretty steady releases with like Super Mario Golf and Scarlet Nexus. So hopefully I'll be able to talk about some of those things if I get around to playing them. But yeah, man, I think we, uh, had a pretty packed show today. Absolutely. A pretty packed show indeed. And I know on Friday, both Marcus and I are going to have a great show as well because we're going to be talking America, the motion picture. We're going to be talking the tomorrow war. It's going to be July 4th. We may do something July 4th related there. Also Loki episode four. It's going to be a lot to talk about. So looking forward to it. And Josh, you're willing to hang out with us as well. If you want, if all the pieces fall into place, you know, if if fate fate brings us all together. Yeah. Lego, if all 1500 pieces of my death star, fall into place then i would definitely be down well we'll see we'll see we are truly part of the einer harrelson fan club einer harrelson hopefully seeing a lot of success i know he's on a lot of shows everywhere but did get a chance to stop by the pop culture cosmos last week so if you check out that interview it is one of our highest rated shows of the year so please go ahead and check that out but we cannot thank you enough for supporting us and finding us right here at the pop culture cosmos 
So for Josh Peterson, this is Cheryl Glassworth. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great